You know, brother, I have been thinking and praying. I even <laughs> added fasting to this because I, I need a serious getting, answer. Yeah. But I really think that the problem that's going on in America at the moment is that we don't have enough people that have seminary training and the multiple doctorates at the end of their name. If we did have that, then we might have revival. There may be just the moral um, temperature and climate of the Absolutely. United States would go way up. What do you think about that, brother? I think we need to uh, reevaluate a little bit, brother. I think we need to dig a little bit deeper, and that's what we're going to talk about today. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. His kingdom's sure increase. Well, we are glad to have you tune in with us here this morning. So, Dave, he doesn't... Is it morning already? No, it isn't morning. It's actually... It's actually evening. It is evening. <laughs> it's evening Just as so we you know. record it. Anyway, <laughs> um, here we've got, uh, obviously, an interesting beginning there. We realize, I think, that uh, our problem is in education, though that is what our modern day uh, likes to say, is that it's not a moral problem. It's a problem of education. That's mm. why you got anger management and all the other crazy right. things. doesn't right. deal with the issue of the heart. But we realize that it's not just, you know, what we can do as people, because oftentimes God passes up the qualified people and uses unlikely right. vessels to do his work. And we get that idea from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 26 through 31, and it says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Mm. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification Amen. and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. So it seems to be, we don't have a problem, I think, either one of us about people going and getting an education. No, and if God calls you to get a doctorate in something for some reason, that's not the issue. The issue is the heart. That's first and foremost. And it appears to be, that God, as we read here in, in 1 Corinthians, God often chooses those people that are so unlikely because right. he gets the glory out of it. They've got nothing. What are they going to say? They don't have any qualifications right. and such. So we're thankful that it's written so plainly inside of the scriptures because if it weren't that way, I was just preaching actually from this out on the street. You inspired me, brother. Okay. <laughs> but I was preaching about this out on the street, and I'm thinking, here are these guys that are out here. They've, they've got... um. Yeah, drug addicts, whatever. And uh, this guy I was talking to now, he'd been in jail for five years oh, wow. and, you know, got out and, and he's making advances toward God and realizes what that he needs to make those advances. But, you know, sometimes they get the idea, well, well I'm not the special kind of guy. I don't have what it takes, you know. Whereas when God looks at and sees something, he looks down and sees it's not about necessarily the qualifications, but it's right. about the heart. Is this, is this person going to surrender over right. to me? So uh, we do have some Bible examples here, but also some uh, examples outside of the Bible are where God used unlikely vessels. Yeah, well, I just think that, you know, in, in 
Bible history and human history, there is this tendency to to rely upon the arm of the flesh. Yeah. And uh, that's what God doesn't want us to do. He wants us to lean hard upon him. And, you know, the natural order of things is, you know, with denominations or church movements, they have the pioneers who start off in the spirit and they're hungry for God and uh, they blaze a trail for the Lord and for revival and for winning of souls. And then the next couple of generations come along and they you know, they, they want to do the right thing, but it seems to be something where they don't know how to lean upon God and they're trusting in their own ab- abilities and talents and all the good things that they have. And uh, they miss the way God wants them to go. Very true. And so we're hoping to empower you as a listener. If you're one of those people that feels like, you know, what do I have to offer? I don't have a whole lot. Or maybe you are praying for somebody, you're working with somebody. We're hoping to help just gain that biblical perspective. What does God see? What is he looking at? And to ha- I guess to instill a hope that, you know, either you or whoever you're working with, God can so change us Amen. and make us and qualify us where we feel unqualified. Well, the whole goal is God wants us to be a habitation of God through the spirit. You know, we each one is an empty shell. Each one is a potential vessel. Yeah. It's a matter of whether we let, let the Lord just have his way and fill us to overflowing. And uh, that's the goal. And it's not that he negates the talents or abilities or intelligence, but uh, he can only really use it when it's been sanctified, when it's been put back upon the altar of God, and the people are completely yielded and let the Spirit of God purify uh, and empower the nature of man. Amen. Well, one of our first examples here from the Scripture is Gideon. Why is Gideon an unlikely vessel, my brother? (laughs) Well, he... uh, rose to prominence, if you want to call it that, in time of darkness. His nation um, was in a very bad spot politically. Uh, they were in bondage. I think it was to the Midianites. And uh, his own personal background was not that great. His, his father, I think, was a priest at a heathen altar. And uh, he just didn't like a very promising vessel for God to use. But uh in circumstances like that, God knows the hearts and God was able to reach down. He saw that there was a young man there that would just keep saying yes to God. And that's all God wanted. Yeah. And you look at it, like sometimes we get the idea, like these people of uh, great faith, you know, and, oh, I don't have such great faith. And then you look at a, somebody like Gideon mm. treading out, uh, or well, actually he's, he's trying to separate, you know, his chaff and wheat or whatever it is, grain inside of a wine vat to hide wow. himself from the Midianites. And then the Lord comes and says, Hey, you uh, mighty man of valor. <laughs> and then Gideon, you know, turning back around and looking and thinking, are you talking to me? You know, I'm Gideon. Yeah, really. Right. Like, right. really, Lord, I oh, think you my. made a made a mistake here. But then God tells Gideon what he wants him to do. Right. And Gideon's just, you know, he's he's kind of like you and I, you know. He, he's like, well, Lord, I, I don't want to not believe you if this is right. your voice. But if it is, can you make the uh, ground dry and the fleece wet? And then when that happens, uh, I just need to double check, Lord, can you make... <laughs> The yeah. fleece dry and the ground wet. And then he says, maybe it is you, Lord. You know, but the whole thing about that story, you read through all those chapters that deal with Gideon. The amazing thing is that he put his life on the line and he just kept yeah. saying yes to God. And, uh, you know, his his dad was against him apparently at first, but then his dad came on his side. And then different families that he's related to, they, they came on board and they began to follow him, then his tribe. And then really the nation began to see God had his hand upon this young man. And he just kept saying yes to God. So that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people that simply will just surrender their hearts over Amen. to God and obey them, just like Gideon did. Even though Gideon may have had a lot of questions about what was going on and, the, you know, his faith wasn't quite gripping, you know, he's kind of shaking about right. it. God saw in his heart, 
he wanted to walk with him, and Just, so God used him for a mighty amen. exploit. That's incredible. And then we've got here next the Israelite girl that spoke to Naaman. Why is she an unlikely vessel? Well, if you understand the background of that story, brother, it's really remarkable because this, this young girl was born in Israel. Israel was the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that split from Judah uh, and split away from, from David and Solomon's family after the death of Solomon. And if you look at the history of Israel, they never had a godly king. So the implication is this young girl was raised in a godly family, but their nation was going a different way. So that was that was not an easy thing to do. If you're a Christian today and you're trying to raise kids in this culture, you know that so many things are against you. And yet it was very similar to what that family seemingly was going through. So she had that. And, uh, you know, you can imagine the, the mom and the dad loved this little girl. I'm sure there were other children there in the family and uh, they had hopes and dreams. But the, the Bible tells us this girl was captured in a raid and that the implication there once again is that probably members of her family were killed. Okay. So not only does do her dreams for the future come crashing down, she probably lost loved ones. And here she is a slave uh, in the midst of a culture and maybe even a family, uh, Naaman's family, that was responsible for the death of her loved ones. And yet when you think about that, you know, when Naaman gets the leprosy and things turn against him, she didn't have a vindictive spirit. She didn't True. rejoice at the fall of her enemy, but in her heart, there was a tenderness that only God could put there. Uh, and she, you know, spoke to Mrs. Naaman and, and talked about what God could do for her husband. And uh, there was something so compelling about this young girl that uh, Naaman's wife and then Naaman himself listened to her. Wow. And then if you think about the how that story continues to go on. Naaman takes this girl's advice, goes yes. and tries to find the prophet, and the prophet doesn't even come out to talk with him at all, and he gets all upset about it. I thought he was going to come out here, he's going to you know, do some yep. big miraculous show, and now I'm, I'm upset. You know, He's, he's stayed in here and just tell me to go wash in a dirty river. And then his servant says to him, well, if he told you to go do some big mighty thing, would you have done it? Oh, yeah, I would have done it. He said, well, <laughs> why don't you just go wash in the dirty river? Who cares if it's dirty? If that's what he says, just do it. It's simple. And he goes, you know what? You're right. I guess I will do that. And then does it. So here's the unlikely servant guy who I don't even know. You know, some of those cultures, when you speak up like that, it could be off with your head. You it know what I mean? Been, yeah, he lost his life. But at that point, it's just like God's hand moving. And who knows? You know, I haven't looked into this, but who knows what kind of influence Naaman had beyond that point right. back into his kingdom because he even said to the prophet hey could you uh pray for me i want to worship the the true god of heaven but i got to go in the temple of my master and you know yeah. just pray god will forgive me because you know i don't really know how to deal with this right but i do want to worship the true god y you know that first of all if he had leprosy all those years and he goes back healed that's going to make a wave absolutely and then secondly He's probably talking to all these other people about the God of Israel. Absolutely. You're talking about you know, the reaction. You know, he's a military man. He's a strong man. He's angry. Feels like his life is coming to a, a you know a conclusion there before his time. And uh, he could have killed that servant, but the restraining power of God was there. Yeah. And uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about Esther. And uh, we don't have Esther on the list, but she's another unlikely yeah, vessel we could have talked about and how, you know, she fasted and prayed for, for three days and seeking God and God raised her up for such a time as that. And, uh, you know, the restraining power of God was there to keep her alive and to open the door to save her people. So, amen. And then, you know, we look at um, other instances too. We find like with King David, here's a guy, 
I mean, as far as I can tell, um, I looking into things when he was anointed by Samuel, uh, and that's a whole other story. I think we do have Samuel on here as well at some point. I should have put that in better order, but I didn't. Anyway, Samuel is told by God that he needs to anoint this next, you know, king who's right. going to be, and you know, goes down through Jesse's sons, and you know, each one, nope, that's not the one. Uh, go find another one. Uh, goes down the line, and then he gets through all of them, and God says no to all of them. And then you know, Samuel thinks, well, either I got this wrong, or you know, Jesse, do you got another son somewhere? Oh, hmm. I do. <laughs> He's just a scrawny little shepherd boy out here. But I'll go get him. And it's at 15 years of age, well, from what I can tell, looking through some things, 15 years old, this this boy is called up, and then God says to Samuel, that's the one. And so God uses this unlikely wow. shepherd. It said he was a, like a ruddy boy. I don't know if that's just like a cute little handsome guy. Yeah, I, <laughs> That's the, the kind of picture I get. Right. It's like, you know, he, he's tenderhearted. He doesn't look like a horny hand kind of battle-hardened man, maybe right. like his, his uh, brothers were. But nevertheless, God raises him up and to be a mighty king. And so 15 years old, he's anointed. It takes until he's about 30 years old until he actually sits on the throne. Wow. And God makes the man through that process, calls him, equips him, and makes him. Just because he had a tender heart, he had a heart after God. And, you know, so many people, they get bitter through life. You yeah. Know, they, they have circumstances in the world that makes them bitter. Or sometimes, unfortunately, in Christian circles, they get bitter because of things they see or maybe even hypocrisy. And, uh, you know, if they would just learn, if we would all just maintain that attitude that it's not God's fault. You know, yeah. God has given mankind free will, and oftentimes man uses that free will to do bad things with it, and uh, that's not God's fault, but he's allowed that, and we've got to just roll with the punches, so to speak. We've got to trust in the Lord that all things work together for good. It may not have been originally God's perfect will, but you just keep trusting God in the midst of it, yeah. and God can work something really good out of it. We talked before about you know David's fall, and that yeah. wasn't God's will. But uh, when he did fall and when he was restored and brought back to repentance after Nathan dealt with him, what did he write? He wrote the 51st yep. Psalm. And uh, for so many people, that Psalm has been such a blessing. It has pointed so many people to the Lamb of God, told so many people there was hope and and uh, just a really a great portrait of somebody making their way back to God. Yes, yeah, so even hope to the backslider through his life. Right. But then right. also, you think about it too, David... God had to make that man for that 15 years. If if David didn't deal with all the difficulties he had with Saul chasing after him and trying to kill him, we wouldn't have the, most of the Psalms that are there. Wow. And I found many times when I, I don't know how to pray sometimes, or maybe I just feel like my spirit's kind of dead, mm. you know, and I just say, Lord, I need your help. I will just open up the book of Psalms Absolutely, and start praying through brother. them. And then Absolutely. you take off. It's I, I've often said that I wish that I could get into the you know, that you meet some godly people and you think, man, I wish I could just kind of be a fly on the wall while they're praying, you know? And yet we got the book of Psalms. Yes, you kind of have that, you know? Amen. So thank God he can sanctify those great difficulties. We also have uh, the Roman centurion who had uh, great faith in Matthew 8 and Luke 7. Why is the Roman centurion a uh, unlikely vessel, brother? Well, the understanding of the day was that the the people of Israel were the only people that God cared about, that it was sort of a national religion and that anybody else was looked down upon as being unworthy of their God. And yet you have this Roman soldier who symbolized um, the power of a hated, oppressive nation. Yeah. And yet in the midst of it all, he had a very tender heart 
towards the things of God. In fact, the, the rulers of the synagogue said that, you know, to Jesus that, you know, you ought to answer his request for the healing of his servant because he's worthy, because he loves our nation, and uh, he's built a synagogue yeah. uh, for us. And uh, you think about that, and why would he do that? But there was a heart after God there, and uh, yeah, but it just, all the circumstances there just seemed very unlikely. Yeah, and to think that here, he, like, this whole situation goes on and Jesus is willing to go to this Roman centurion's <laughs> right. house. And he says, don't even bother coming. That's... I'm a man of authority. You know, when I speak, people do it to say, and he recognized Jesus as a man of authority. All that, you've got to do is speak the word. That's incredible. And then Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. So here, so unlikely. And yet the thing was, it was the man's heart. It was the, the man's heart towards God was better than, as Jesus said, than those that profess to really know right. who he was. Well, you know, the thing is that the, the being the Roman soldier that he was, it may not have been God's perfect will, but because he understood the implications of what it meant to be a soldier, when Jesus spoke, and this man must have heard Jesus speak, he recognized authority. He recognized that anointing of God, and people who should have recognized that didn't. Yeah. And, uh, well, like you said, you know, there are other people— who had all the privileges, and yet Jesus marveled at their unbelief, his yeah. own people and his own towns and villages where he grew up. So, you know, oftentimes people who have everything handed to them on a platter spiritually, and they don't have to dig, and they don't suffer, and it's just right there for the taking, they don't appreciate it. But oftentimes the people that really... You know, they've been through the ringer, through the world. They, they've they had problems. Maybe they didn't have the religious privileges that some people have had. And yet when they come in contact with the master and yeah. they hear a good sound, anointed presentation of the gospel, something clicks and they make progress in a way that others who should have made progress don't. Yeah, and there's another place in, the, in um, Proverbs where it says, to the hungry soul, even the bitter things are sweet. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, like you were saying, those people that have it handed to them, they're they're wanting the dessert right now. But the person that's been to the lowest spot, even if God seems <laughs> to give them something that doesn't look so palatable at first, they're like, that's a sign. I got to walk toward God all the more. Yeah. You know, I don't care if it, if its packaging isn't so great. They see it as God's hand trying to help them through something, and they'll take the hard road Amen. because they, well, they had to dig it out, you know? They had to dig it but, out. But God, you know, he's choosing those unlikely vessels because there is no way, there's no explanation except that God must have done something here. And we've got here the Matthew, the tax collector. Oh, there's what no an, hope for what a fellow like that. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as bad as the Roman soldier was, a tax collector was a lot worse because you could understand a Roman doing that. Well, I mean, he was a Roman, so that's understandable. But Matthew was a Jew, and he traitor. was traitor. He was a traitor. He was collaborating with the Romans, and yeah. you know, the tax collectors of that day were the most despised group of people. Uh, you know, they would get the money that the Romans told them to get from the Jews, and then the Romans said, you live on what you take above that, and they fleeced their people pretty good. So uh, they were not well-loved by their own people. So the uh, moral of the story is <laughs> right. do not work for the IRS. You can't be a Christian brother, and work for the IRS. Brother, no. please. <laughs> we're kidding. We're going to get notified right now. They're going to come after us. This but, is our last episode, yeah. folks. So enjoy it. Uh, you know, send. You know. So it is crazy when you think about it. Here he is a traitor to his people, and yet Jesus walks by his booth and says, come and follow me. And then imagine Matthew. And he said no. 
No. No, he said yes. Immediately. Immediately. Just said, like he just that, he got gave up away everything. Followed him. But then you imagine? bringing him in, oh, and wow. you've mentioned this before, but bringing this in, here here he brings in the tax collector, the most despised man, and then you've got the Simon Zelotes, the zealot. Right-wing the, militia guy. Yeah, right-wing militia. <laughs> yeah, he's, get, he's getting ready for the end of the world there. He's all holed up, right? but then the Lord brings him in and brings in the left-wing you know, socialist, secular humanist, and they've got to get together somehow. And in getting together... <laughs> They fight for the same common cause, you know. So God could God could sanctify the zeal of this zealot for good purposes, absolutely. And then God could sanctify this. I mean, Matthew is a tax collector. He's good with numbers. Yeah. Got to pay attention to detail. He's written one of the gospels now. Isn't so God something? could take something that Matthew chose to benefit himself and for wickedness, flip it all around. Even the zealot guy, because he got it off too. He wasn't R quite on no, the right pathway. It's like and God takes both those people, twists them around. And, and says, this is, I made you with these capacities, with this skill or whatever. I've made you this way, excuse me, but you used it wrong. So here's here's now what it can be if you would just simply surrender this over to me and takes these unlikely vessels and turns the world upside down. It's Praise incredible. God, brother. <laughs> it's, it's encouraging. <laughs> it's good stuff. Praise the Lord. And then we've got uh, Lydia, the uh, seller of purple. And wow. so, and you know, brother, a seller of purple, would you go back to your uh, high school reunion and, and tell people that you were a seller of purple? Is that well, prestigious? Well, I would only do that if they first looked into Adam Clark and different commentaries, All right. because I think, if I remember correctly, don't quote me on this, I should have prepared for this, but <laughs> when I actually preached on the Philippian church and Lydia and the Philippian jailer, I did some research and selling of purple, purple was a sign of a little bit of wealth because purple right. represented royalty. And there is some thought that she did very well for herself. We don't know if she was married or not. Doesn't seem like there was a husband around. Was not an easy society for a woman to be a successful business lady in, but apparently she was. Okay. So she's doing pretty good for herself. And if she went back to her high school reunion, you know, they wouldn't laugh at her. All right, so I guess another life lesson is if you want to make purple, go for it. Or read Adam Clark and... <laughs> Matthew Henry and Albert Barnes. But the crazy thing is, here's this lady, the seller of purple. She hears the gospel there in Philippi. She does. Lord opens her heart. And then she believes. And then it says her whole household was baptized. Her whole household believes. That's awesome. That's not even the first time, isn't there? There's a few other, well, even the Philippian jailer in the same place. It said Afterwards, he believed yeah. first. And then they come in. He heals, you know, wipes the wounds down right. and all that. And, and then he and his family yeah. believe as well. And then they're probably all part of the same church. It makes sense. Lydia and this Philippian jailer. It's a tremendous story when you think of it. I, I believe that was the first European church. Wow. And, um, you know, because the gospel went that direction. And, um, you know, the Philippian jailer is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I have a message that I preach on him. And in some ways, it's kind of my favorite message to preach. I preach it quite a bit when I get a chance at different churches or, or meetings uh, because I love to see the transformation. Praise because God. in my mind's eye, I, I can picture rough, unsaved type fellows that I knew growing up. No, they weren't jailers per se, but they were just kind of rascals. And God was able to reach down and, and get a hold of them. And I, I think to myself, here's this guy, he had no religious background. Background. Probably all he knew was violence. Yeah. And yet when he saw the power of God demonstrated, he comes trembling and said, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And he begins to, to wash the wounds that he had put on their back. And, and you can just imagine that home when he gets there and the transformation that had taken place, you know, his kids probably only knew violence when he came home. 
uh, from work. His yeah. wife probably knew the same thing, you know, and she wondered why she never married him. And he becomes a different man, and he wins him to the Lord almost right away. Praise uh, God. Just a transforming power of the grace of God, uh, just being poured out upon that town of Philippi, that city of Philippi. And that's what we need today. We yeah. need to see the Lydia's. Uh, get really converted and full of the Holy Ghost, and we need to see the same thing happen to the Philippian jailers of our day. And you know, it's crazy. Here, this Philippian jailer, uh, I mean, being in this Roman system, it was uh, such a way that if you fell asleep on the job and people escaped, that was a huge thing. Here, he's about to end his life when he sees that place shaken. And then Paul says, do yourself no harm. And you know, I mean, I just, I'm saying this, I'm encouraging you, if you're working with souls, God sees the tremendous worth of and value of a soul. This man's about to end his life. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to even ruin you and your reputation. We'll all stay here. You just need to hear the gospel. What an awesome thought. Brother, if Paul had an ounce of carnality in his soul, he would have kept his mouth silent, you know, because here's this guy, he's beaten him, he's mocked him, he's treated him like dirt. Yeah. And all he has to do is keep his mouth shut, and this guy's sending himself into hell, you know, and Paul could have said, well, God has had vengeance on my enemies, but instead, with a heart overflowing with love, he cries out, do thyself no harm. And he saves the fellow from hell, and he, he sees the, the transformation. What love. Yeah, I mean, oh, praise God. It just it fires me up when I think about that. Amen, and that should be an encouragement to us as well, you know. Praise God. It's not always easy when things go wrong and people do wrong to you, but keeping that Show same that kind of, Show or the heart love. of Christ in view is to just say, you know, do yourself no harm. You know, whatever you've done, I don't care. I just want to get you to the cross. Wow. An unlikely vessel. Then we see Ananias. And the Apostle Paul, why is Ananias such an unlikely vessel? My well, brother? I have to give credit to Paris Reedhead, a friend of A.W. Tozer, yeah. a wonderful preacher. He's known for 10 shekels in a shirt. And uh, after his death, his family um, put a lot of his sermons online, like to listen to his messages. And he was at the Gospel Tabernacle in uh, New York City for about 10 years in the 50s and 60s, A.B. Simpson's original church there. And uh, he preached a message on Ananias. And it, it just, it really went through me. Once again, I, I kind of took some notes on that sure. and I made my own message. But Ananias was never heard from again in the New Testament after dealing with, yeah. with Saul. And uh, he wasn't a big name preacher. But what's interesting is he was listening. He was listening yeah. and God could speak to him. Yep. But not only was he listening, he knew about Paul. He wasn't going into that blindly, brother. He knew what Paul was doing. And when he said, you know, what am I supposed to do, Lord? And, uh, you know, Lord told him, he's like, well, he's done all this. And the Lord said, you need to do this. And uh, he was willing to do it knowing there was a good chance he would die. Yeah. So uh, he was all on the altar. And, uh, you know, when he comes to Saul, one of the most powerful to me statements in the New Testament is when he says, brother Saul, Brother Saul, yeah. Brother Saul. This guy's been, you know, chasing down the Christians, killing some Christians. He's just been trying to destroy the church, but he's got a broken, repentant heart. He's met the Lord, and and uh, he just he just brings him in, and he says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. What a tender wow. heart. Yeah. But he was unlikely. You know, he didn't call uh, Peter, and John wasn't called. Uh, none of the other apostles were, were the ones that were used to reach uh, Saul. It was... Ananias. Yeah, Ananias was available. He was available, he was listening, <laughs> listening yeah. and he was obedient. You know, and really, the other side of this 
same account is Paul is quite an unlikely vessel Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Here he is try jailing people, killing Christians, you know, signing it off or whatever he's got to do, jail them, execute them, get them out of here. They're blaspheming the the true and holy God and then God knocks him off the horse and God says, "I have got a job for you. You don't even Amen. have any idea the things you've got to suffer, but I got a job for you." Wow. And Paul changed from well from Saul to Paul and almost the entire New Testament, most of the majority of it was written by him. And to think Here's this zealot, you know, with all the trouble Jesus had with a lot of the Pharisees yeah. to see this man and which it's almost like, I guess it's probably wow. still the same in today. Those people that are so stuck in that kind of religious garb of things. Harsh. Yeah. Strict conformance, con being conformed to the letter of the law, just yeah, yeah. trying to, you know, with all of your ability to do what the law tells you to do, but just failing and having the wrong spirit all the way through. And you think about this man, here's a guy, he hated other races. I mean, yeah. he was so set on his own people, and yet God met him on that road to Damascus, utterly changed him, filled him with the heart of love, so that he could look at slaves in the Roman Empire who were completely different from him and call them brethren. Yeah, praise God. Wow. And you know what? I mean, you may see those as kind of like few and far between things, but that should give us hope as well when you're dealing with somebody that, like my brother saying, is that so hardened and all that kind of thing? Keep praying. Keep plowing. You know, keep trusting God, believing Absolutely. God to turn even them around. Who knows? They could be somebody that just, you know, it, again, God chooses that person to do a great exploit, and they have an in. Like Paul, he had an in with a lot of the Jews and different right. ones that nobody else would have been able to have. Well, you know, I was just thinking as you're talking there, you know, <laughs> the unlikely vessels keep on praying. And uh, to be honest with you folks, in doing these podcasts, you know, I get blessed in doing it because— my brother and I are, you know, conversing back and forth, a little bit of iron sharpening iron. Yeah, definitely. And it, it helps me, um, you know, to think about what God wants to do. And in a sense, it inspires me to keep on praying because we all have times where we begin to lag, yep. where we begin to think, is it worth it? You yep. know, we prayed for so long. Do we keep on praying? And whether we realize it or not, we're beginning to sag in our spirit and our hands are falling down, our knees are getting sore, and we just, we just don't want to go on. But, you you know, I think God understands how we're made. We yeah, need definitely. words of encouragement. We need uh, people. We need things to stir us up. And when we read these stories in the Bible, it has a way of encouraging us to see if definitely. God got a hold of that person, he can get a hold of that rascal I'm praying for. Amen. And that just brings me to just a, a thing here. If you are listening to this and it is helping you, then make sure to click like, subscribe, turn on bell notifications so you can see when we put up these new things. It'll help uh, for this stuff to spread even further. Also, we want you to type comments down in the uh, underneath area because sometimes dialogue gets going. Some, Absolutely. Sometimes it can get a little crazy, but sometimes there's benefit there. We want to fight. With, no, we don't want to fight with you. We want to have a dialogue with we you. We want to fight the Lord. with you. With not against you. Uh, yeah, that's right. There we, we go. Amen. <laughs> well, brother, how are we doing on time here? Are we going to keep going? I or think we? we've got a few more here okay, for our Bible gonna... things. Okay. Um, And then we've got uh, Rahab here, the prostitute. What an unlikely vessel Ooh. that would be, Rahab the prostitute. Oh, my brother. Now, here's she's the lady. She's not the kind of girl you want to bring home to mother. I know. And yet. And when, yet. When you look before at. Before she's redeemed. Yes. But now after she's redeemed, she's in the lineage of Jesus. Very true. Wow. And I was wow. going to say. 
there was that the same kind of characters that surrounded Jesus even in his day, and the Pharisees said the same thing. You, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her be doing that. Wow. But here, Rahab's in the lineage of Jesus. We think of the uh, the lady Yael um, in the book of Judges, where wow. Deborah and Barak uh, they're kind of at the head of trying to take <laughs> over uh, Sisera and his army, put him out. He runs away and flees, thinks he's going to get help. And this little lady, oh I don't goodness. I just think in my mind, she's a wow. sweet little lady. She says, here, why don't you take a nap on the side <laughs> over here? Here's some hot milk for you. That'll oh, help no. you get to sleep. Oh. And then, boom, just a, a nail through the head. And, and the battle's was won That's because it. of this little lady. <laughs> no more. God will do those kind of things. Wow. Also, Jabez. This is incredible. It is incredible. Jabez story. is um, the... In, in First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10, it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. So he prays. Extend the borders of your kingdom through me, enlarge my wow. coast, do all this. And it is said through um, commentary, through history, that he started a um, school of the disciple or to disciple people in the right. true ways of God. And if you go to Jeremiah 35, you read about these this group of guys, a family called the Rechabites, which they were wow. uh, going to be given wine and whatnot. They came up and said, we don't want your wine. Our father told us we weren't to be doing that. And then God commends these people, the Rechabites, and says... You, Israel, should learn from these Rechabites. They listen to their father, and he's dead. I'm well, telling you all these things, and you won't even listen to me. The Rechabites are going to be blessed from this time forward. And the Rechabites were, I can't it's like four or five generations away from Jabez, and they had been through that school of disciples. So they were the products of that Bible school that he started. Definitely. That is incredible. Now, you think about this, and you think about it, it says, you know, about the sorrow. Could you go up to the verse there, brother, so I could see that real Which quick? Which verse is that? Uh, where it talks about Jabez. Right up here, yeah. Yeah, there it goes. Uh, you know, I bear him with sorrow. I've also seen that it's translated. I, I bear him with pain. Yeah. So whatever took place there, you know, his his coming into this world was not a time of celebration. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of babies born into the world that you know, mom and dad have longed for them, and they come into a loving home. Not this little guy. Yeah. And uh, I can just picture him on the playground at recess time. And, uh, you know, he's picked on by the other kids and you don't have a daddy or your mommy doesn't know who your daddy is, just whatever's going on. And just in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the pain, instead of getting bitter, somehow in some way he learned to begin to turn to God. Thank Not God. only did he turn to God, he began to to call upon God. And that's the thing that makes us strong. We've got to call we've got to turn to God to get right with God. But yes. as we continue in that direction, we've got to call upon God. And as we're calling, God can fill us up and God can establish us and make us steadfast. But he learned to to turn everything over to the Lord. And as he's calling, he's asking God, you know, that you would bless me. Now, it seemed like the circumstances of life did not seem to indicate that he was blessable, but he felt in his heart that, you know, if I call on God, he's going to bless me. And it wasn't yeah. just for his, you know, prosperity or, or blessing in terms of uh, financial whatever, but it was just, I want God to be known. I want the God that's redeemed me, the God that's made himself known to me to make himself known to others. Yeah. So he's asking God to enlarge his coast. What happens? Keep me from evil. But he raised up that school of disciples. Yeah. You know, and as a Christian, that should be our desire that we want God to to knit our heart 
together with his heart so that his desire is our desire and his overriding desire is to see the expansion of his kingdom. So we should long for that, that our vessel would be a vessel unto honor that God can use for the uh, the enlargement of his kingdom. Amen. Even as multi-generational. Isn't that yeah. incredible? And really, when you look at through the entire Old wow. Testament, lots of the prayers of those patriarchal figures they are thinking multi-generationally, even that. They're they're not just thinking about, oh, Lord, just help me to make it so I can slide on into heaven. They're like, oh, God, my sons, my sons, yeah. sons, and whoever else from out here, it depends on how I live and, and, and the God that I walk with. And am I going to be obedient to you? I want to pass on this heritage you know, to my family, to my children, to my grandchildren. Well, they, they say that the old saints in uh, Britain and America used to pray, Lord, bless my descendants to the end of time. And we've, wow. we've lost that. We've lost that in so many ways. We've swallowed the doom and the gloom so it's paralyzed us. And, uh, you know, look at Andrew Murray. It's been said that Andrew Murray, even today, has descendants that are, you know, serving the Lord. There was, and the Booths, I think the Booths had eight children, yeah. and all eight served the Lord. I mean, there's a certain families that you look at in church history and you know, I guess you can you know, dive into, you know, different things about how they raised their kids or the emphasis or whatever it was, but man, they, they knew how to get a hold of God for their kids. Amen. Well, we want to thank you for tuning in at this particular one here. We went through some biblical examples of uh, people that were unlikely vessels. The next time, we're going to bring to you Amen. some examples uh, that are outside of the Bible in history of those unlikely vessels God continued to use. Even though the inspired canon was closed, the inspiration of God's Spirit through people continued to live on, and he continues to confound the wise Amen. up until this present day. So Lord bless you, and we'll catch you in the next one. Amen. Hey, now that you've watched this first video don't stop now check out the next video up here or maybe you just want to go on a binge watch and look at this playlist